Welcome to Word Journeys, a podcast about etymology and the surprising stories behind the origins of English words. This is Dallas, coming to you from Philadelphia. In today's episode, we'll explore two toponyms, that is, words ultimately derived from place names. We'll learn how one short German word gave rise to two very distinct English words used today, one associated with the distant past, and one very much in our present and future, or maybe not, as the case may be. Each story begins in the Holy Roman Empire in the 16th century. This is a tall of two cities. Stay with us. Part 1. Dusseldorf. Our first story begins during the Renaissance, with a musician and preacher named Joachim Neumann. Neumann was a scholar and a humanist, and he decided to do something which was common practice at the time, to change his surname and convert it to ancient Greek. The classical languages experienced a resurgence in the 15th and 16th centuries. The traditional narrative is that scholars fleeing the Byzantine Empire after the fall of Constantinople in 1453 arrived in Europe and contributed to a revival of Greek and Latin scholarship. One example of this renewed interest in ancient Greek was that some people, humanists especially, began to write their names in Greek through a process called calking. Now, for a bit of background. A calc is a linguistic term which denotes a word in one language that was translated word for word or part for part from another language. Here's an example. The English word superman, meaning a transcendent human being, didn't exist in English until 1903. It was translated from the German word Übermensch, a word referring to a superior human, coined by the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. The word is made of two parts, Uber, meaning super or over, and Mensch, meaning man. Translate each separately and combine them, and you get from Übermensch to Superman. That is a calc from German into English. Now, back to the humanists. They frequently translated their surnames into Greek in the same fashion. For instance, theologian Johannes Graumann changed his surname to Poliander. Graumann, coming from Grau, German for gray, and Mon, meaning man. In Greek, the word for gray was polios, and man was andros. Graumann became polyandros. Theologian and influential figure in the Protestant Reformation, Philip Melanchthon, was born Philip Schwarzerd. Schwarzerd being German for black earth and Black Earth in Ancient Greek being Melachthon. This brings us back to Joachim Neumann, who did the same thing. Neumann means new man, and the Greek equivalent is Neander. Joachim's grandson, also named Joachim, went by this new family name, Joachim Neander. He lived from 1650 to 1680, and was a Calvinist teacher and a famous hymn writer. He taught at a Christian school in Dusseldorf, and would often go into nature for poetic inspiration. There was a particular place that he loved, a gorge carved by the Dussel River east of Dusseldorf. 
His association with the valley was strong even a century after his death, and it became known as Neander's Hola, or Neander's Hollow. In 1850, the name was changed to Neander Tal, Neander's Valley. The German place name Tal, spelled T-H-A-L, means valley, and that root can still be found today in surnames such as Rosenthal or Blumenthal. Tall is cognate with the English word dale. The valley, known in the mid-19th century as Neanderthal, was the site of industrial-scale limestone quarrying in the 19th and 20th centuries. In 1856, two miners discovered fossilized remains in a cave, and not long afterward it was determined that the remains belonged to three distinct individuals. Scientists scrutinized the find. And in 1864, geologist William King published the find and identified the remains as belonging to a separate species of hominid, closely related to humans. He dubbed it Homo Neanderthalensis, Neanderthal man. We know now that this wasn't actually the first discovery of Neanderthal remains. Fossil discoveries in Gibraltar in 1848 and in Belgium in 1829 were only identified as Neanderthals long after the fact. Scientific debate about the nature and evolutionary history of these hominids continued for many years after the initial discovery, but nonetheless the word Neanderthal had entered English. The physical features of the Neanderthal, including its receding forehead and prominent brow ridges, led some anthropologists to believe it was a brutish creature. Biologist Ernst Haeckel even proposed that its scientific name be changed to Homo stupidus, it is from this primitive view that Neanderthal as an adjective with the sense of uncivilized entered written English in 1928. It was used especially to describe a man or a man's opinion. In 1901, there was an orthographic change to the German language, and the sound T, previously written as TH, began to be written as just T. Since Neanderthal was crystallized as a scientific term, its spelling was not changed, and that's why people in different parts of the world might pronounce it alternately as Neanderthal or Neanderthal. Through the toponym and the calque, it's a fantastic coincidence, or maybe not, that the name for this newly discovered hominid species ultimately came from a family name which meant New Man. Coming up next, another Tal and another Joachim. Stay with us. Part 2. Joachimstal If you were to take a trip today to the city of Yakimov in the northwestern Czech Republic near the German border, you would find a quiet spa town in the mountains and not much more. You'd probably have no idea how economically and scientifically influential the city has been since its founding in the early 16th century. In the early 1500s, silver was discovered in the region and the landowner, Stefan Schlick, christened the site Tal des Heiligen Joachims, the Valley of Holy Joachim, soon shortened to Joachimstal, Joachim's Valley. The early 16th century was an extremely fortuitous time to come upon a silver source. By the 15th century, most European currencies had become severely debased. This was due to a number of factors, including frequent warfare and centuries of one-sided trading. 
gold and silver, would often be exchanged for goods from Asia and the Middle East, thus leaving the European market. There were new attempts to combat this debasement in the late 15th century. One particular example was a new currency called the Golden Groschen. The silver mine at Joachimsthal was immediately profitable, and in 1518, silver coins called Joachimsthalers began to be minted, the name of the coin coming from the location of the mine. On the back was a lion, taken from the coat of arms of the Kingdom of Bohemia. The name of this coin was eventually abbreviated to Thalers, and they quickly gained acceptance as legal tender throughout Europe. Other coins minted in different places and with different values were introduced, but most of them were also called Thalers after the standard silver coin. The Thaler grew in popularity, especially in Germany and Holland, winning out over its predecessor, the Golden Groschen. From 1566 to 1750, it was the standard coin of the Holy Roman Empire. The Thaler was called a Dalder in Dutch, and it contained the Cross of Burgundy, a symbol of the Spanish Habsburgs, on the back. In 1575, during the Dutch revolt for independence against Spain, they began to mint their own dalders. Theirs did away with the insignia of Philip II of Spain and replaced the Cross of Burgundy on the back with a lion. This coin became known as the Leeuwendalder, the Lion Taller, in Dutch. During the Dutch Golden Age, many parts of the world became acquainted with the Leeuwendalder. For instance, the currency of Romania and Moldova, the Lu, and Bulgaria's currency, the Lev, are derived from Leowin and Leowindalder. However, the coin's greatest impact came in the American colonies. New Amsterdam, what would become New York, was settled by the Dutch, who brought their Leowindalders with them. The Dutch Dalder was frequently used in New Amsterdam, and soon all of the American colonies knew the word Dalder, or Dollar, as referring to currency. So, if you haven't guessed by now, these coins are the source of our English word dollar, which comes from taller, which comes from the name of the town of Joachimsthal, and from the same German word, tall meaning valley, that gave us Neanderthal. But how did this dalder, or dollar, become the standardized currency of the United States? In fact, the most common currency in the American colonies at the time was the Spanish piece of eight, or peso de ocho, and that's where the name of Mexico's currency, the peso, comes from. The piece of eight was a silver Spanish coin that was worth eight Spanish reals. Proximity to the Spanish colonies in North America made American colonists very familiar with this currency, and they started calling them dollars from the Dutch word dalder. The piece of eight came to be known as the Spanish dollar, and in 1786, the Continental Congress decided to model the new currency of the newly formed United States off of the Spanish dollar. The U.S. dollar began to be circulated in 1794, after the mint was established. But let's revisit Joachimsthal. After the initial silver mining phase, its silver supply became exhausted, and with other mines opening up in the area, it wasn't profitable anymore. All that remained was lots and lots of a black byproduct, which came to be called pitch blend. Pitch because it was black, and blend because no one knew yet what kind of minerals were in it. In 1789, Martin Klaproth discovered uranium while studying pitch blend. In the middle of the 19th century, 
Joachim's Tall's pitch blend began to be used again in order to extract uranium for coloring glass. Radioactivity was discovered in the late 19th century, and Marie Curie identified the element radium in 1898 by isolating it from pitchblende that came from Joachimsthal. Once interest in radium grew for its use as a possible cancer treatment, pitchblende was in high demand. Until around World War I, when mines opened in Colorado and in the Congo, Joachimsthal was the only place in the world where pitchblende was mined and thus it was the only access point for uranium and radium. Joachimsthal was annexed by Germany in 1938, and Germans were expelled from the area in 1945. At that point, the town was renamed to the Czech Yakimov. So, Joachimsthal gave us radium and the dollar. Well, at least etymologically. If you're ever in Yakimov, you can take an invigorating and revitalizing treatment of radon gas at a radon spa, if you're brave enough for that. Now it's time for a Cognate Corner segment, where we consult the American Heritage Dictionary of Proto-Indo-European Roots and find some cognates of our weekly words. Cognates are the etymological equivalent of cousins. They are words which evolved separately from the same source. I mentioned earlier that the German Tal is cognate with the English Dale, both coming from the Proto-Indo-European root to hell, meaning a hollow. But there aren't many other English cognates for tall, except for Dale, Del, and Dallas, actually. So, for this week's cognate corner, we'll look up the root andros, or aner, the Greek word for man, found in Neanderthal. It comes from the Proto-Indo-European root ner, meaning vigorous, vital, or strong. From ner, we get all the Greek derivatives of aner, meaning man, such as the English words android and philander, and personal names such as Alexander or Lysander. Ner is also an italic root, meaning magistrate or strongman, and it's the source of the name of the Roman emperor Nero, who was a bit too strong for his own good. And one final note. 2017's winner of the Nobel Prize in Economics was American economist Richard Thaler. The surname, Thaler, as we now know, comes from the same root as dollar, which is all too fitting. That's it for this week. If you'd like more information on the topic, or if you want to see a list of words that were covered in this episode, just visit our website at wordjourneyspodcast.com. There you will find a contact page to write in with questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics. Musical selections in this episode come from the Advent Chamber Orchestra and Tomas Luis Victoria's Amicus Meus. Audio help came from Brad Rose. This is Dallas Simons. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.